Welcome to this podcast of sermons at CUNY United Methodist Church. A reading from St. Paul's letter to the Romans from the Common English Version. The scriptures say, God accepted Abraham because Abraham had faith in him. God promised Abraham and his descendants that he would give them the world. This promise wasn't made because Abraham had obeyed a law, but because his faith in God made him acceptable. If Abraham and his descendants were given this promise because they had obeyed a law, then faith would mean nothing and the promise would be worthless. God becomes angry when his law is broken, but where there isn't a law, it cannot be broken. Everything depends on having faith in God so that God's promise is assured by his gift of undeserved grace. This promise isn't only for Abraham's descendants who have the law. It is for all who are Abraham's descendants because they have faith just as he did. Abraham is the ancestor of us all. Abraham was certain that God could do what he had promised. So God accepted him, just as we read in the scriptures. But these words were not written only for Abraham. They were written for us, since we will also be accepted because of our faith in God, who raised our Lord Jesus to life. May we receive a blessing in the hearing of these words. Today we hear about God's promises. Language is powerful. The Gospel of John actually begins with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That, that Greek word logos is what translates to word for us. And when we hear that in the Gospel of John, we, we know that it's talking about Christ, about God incarnating as a human person coming to us as Christ, that incarnation that we will celebrate at Christmas. And we also know that it means more than just a written word on a page. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. And for the ancient Greeks, that word logos also meant something much bigger than a written word on a page or or a single utterance. It meant message or reason or meaning. In fact, the ancient Greek Stoics defined logos as an active, rational, and spiritual principle that permeates all reality. And so today, we are talking about God's promise, which comes to us in language. We're celebrating God's promises. We hear them in words, as a message. But I just want to, as we talk about it, remember that that understanding of logos, because it is the same for us in God's promise, that it is meaning, that spiritual principle that permeates all of reality. Well, today, Brielle shared with us the words of St. Paul to the church in Rome. Paul was that missionary extraordinaire who started out as a Jewish religious scholar, we call them Pharisees, had a mystical experience, became Christian, changed his life. He became an apostle, traveled all over the Mediterranean world, testifying, witnessing to what had happened to him, preaching, planted churches, got in trouble, and wrote letters, wrote letters to churches. And that was part of his letter to the church in Rome. And Paul knew all about God's promises. The very formation of the Hebrew people began with God's promise. 
the Hebrew people, the Israelite people, the ancient nation of Israel, the Jewish people, their, their identity came out of God's promise, and they all knew it. We call it covenants. They all knew it, and they, they were chosen by God, and they even referred to themselves as the chosen people. They knew that their whole identity came out of promises of God. And that they were chosen for the whole world. They were chosen to reveal God, to be an example of God's faithfulness to the whole world. The invitation began with Abraham. It came to completion in Jesus the Christ. And it was an invitation that was made to the whole world. And that's what Paul was talking about in that letter to the Romans. So Paul planted many churches, but the church in Rome was not one of them. So this is a letter he's writing to a church he actually hadn't been to. He knew several of the people there, but he didn't have personal experience in that church. The church in Rome was a mix of Jewish people and Gentile people, a mix of people who uh, were Jewish, were circumcised, followed kosher, and people who were Gentile not Jewish, not circumcised, didn't follow kosher. And he, Paul was laying out the promise to go all the way back to Abraham. And he was showing how the promises, even way back with Abraham, were not just for Jews, not just for Hebrews, but were for all people, the whole church in Rome. And this was really important. This was really important to the early church because Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was Hebrew. He spoke a Hebrew dialect. He, was, he quoted and revered the Hebrew scriptures, which we call the Old Testament. So there was this fundamental question. Was Jesus a continuation of what God had already revealed with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the prophets or was Jesus something completely new, connected to the past? Well, Jesus said he was a continuation. He said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Paul says he's a continuation. And today in this reading, he lays out his reasoning. And he does so with God's promise to Abraham. This is a fresco um, on a called God calling Abraham. It's a fresco painted on a church in France. Frescoes are when they paint on wet plaster and then it dries on the wall. So this is from a church in France dated to 1040 to 1090 AD, so about a thousand years old. <coughs> and it was God calling Abraham, and this is a calling that came with a promise. Abraham, uh, scholars think, is the first uh, person mentioned in the book of Genesis that they think, scholars think, is based on a historical person. Up until then in Genesis, those stories, scholars think, are uh, important theological stories, but not based in historical people. But with Abraham and Sarah, Scholars think it was based on historical people. There is disagreement. Was it a single person Abraham and a single person Sarah? Or is it, was it a composite of multiple leaders at that time? They argue about that. But there is one thing that is known for sure. 
The stories stayed in oral tradition for over a thousand years before they were written down. Scholars think that Abraham and Sarah, or the, the leaders that they're uh, based on, lived about 1800, 1800 BCE. The book of Genesis was written in the 500s BCE, over a thousand years later. So all of these stories were in oral tradition. And if you've ever played that game, you know, where you say something and then it goes around and by the time it gets to the end, it's changed. So that's a good indication that we are not oral tradition people. <laughs> because in oral tradition, they really do pretty good at holding those stories accurately, at passing them down well, of taking what was important and being very careful and guarding those important stories and passing them down well. They were very careful about the important stuff, the promises of God, how God behaves in the world, how people stay connected to God, and, and how we behave as God's faithful ones. They were very careful about meaning. They were not so careful about things that were considered unimportant, things that we might call facts. And you know what the truth is? We're exactly the same. Have any of you ever gathered with family over a holiday and somebody starts with, remember the Thanksgiving when? And they tell the story kind of slightly different than you remember it, and other people tell it. But the meaning, the important part, is always the same. Abraham was a central identity figure for the Hebrew people. His name, Abraham, actually means father of the nations. Okay, Abraham was a name given to him by God. In Genesis chapter 17, the promise that Paul talks about is in Genesis chapter 15. So let's talk about that promise. God had called Abraham from his home in Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq. And God said, come to a new land. God led him and his family to Canaan, modern-day Israel. God promised to give the land to Abraham and his descendants, which was a pretty big promise because Abraham had no descendants at this point. Abraham and Sarah were, you know, elderly. <laughs> they had no children. They were past the age at which that wouldn't be a pretty big shock. And God promised them, you will have descendants as numerous as the stars, and this land will be for them. God promised to be their God, to protect them, to care for them, to nurture them. And then Paul, almost 2,000 years later, after that promise to Abraham, is writing the church in Rome about that promise. Now, some Hebrew scholars at the time said that promise that God made to Abraham's descendants was only for Abraham's biological descendants. We know that Abraham had a son, Isaac, and Isaac had a son, Jacob, and that's the origin of the Israelite people. And they said the promise was only for his biological descendants, and that what made Abraham worthy of honor and remembrance was his obedience to God, his faithfulness, his loyalty to God, his pious worship, um, his moral outstandingness. And Paul completely disagreed. Paul said, nope, 
the promise that God made to Abraham was to his spiritual descendants as well, all of humanity. That God made a promise to Abraham that was for all people. And the things that we admire Abraham for, those were the effect of God's promise. That is not what Abraham did to be chosen by God. By the way, if you've read much scripture, you know God seems to almost play a game. Who's the least deserving person for my favor? Oh, I pick them to be the leader for everybody else. So Paul said, Paul said Abraham's obedience was the effect of receiving that promise, that God did not promise Abraham because Abraham was obedient. Abraham was obedient because God promised. It's completely different. The obedience came afterwards. Circumcision came afterwards. Kosher came afterwards. The law came afterwards. The Ten Commandments, that came generations afterwards. Paul said the only thing that Abraham did was to have faith. He believed. Now I want to pause right there. Because when Paul talked about faith belief, it's the same word in Greek, he meant something different, I think, than what we usually mean when we talk about belief in God and faith. When we say, I believe in God, we usually mean, I believe that God exists. That's, or if somebody says, I believe in God, or I believe God, or I believe God exists, or that God is relevant. At Paul's time, no one questioned whether or not God existed. No one. And even at this time, they didn't question whether other gods existed. There was a, a the, the consensus was, God, all these gods exist. The only question for me is, which God am I loyal to? Which God am I following? And we can hear that in the Passover story when God uh, intervened on behalf of the Israelites and saved them from slavery. In Exodus chapter 12, God says, on all the other gods of Egypt, I will execute my judgment. You don't execute judgment on something that doesn't exist. And then when the Ten Commandments were given, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. Not you'll only believe that only one existed. It was much, much later that the Israelites came to understand that really there was only one God who was actually divine. Because in order to be God, I mean, we're talking about action independent of humans, that we don't earn it, that it's based in God's action. So for, for Paul, for Abraham, that faith that Abraham had, it's more like trust. It's more like the way when we use the word belief with each other. So if you were to make a promise to me and I say, I believe you, I mean, I think that you're capable of keeping of whatever you've promised to do, and I trust that you will do it. That's much more what Paul was talking about with Abraham's faith. I think you're capable, and I believe you will do it. So Abraham's faith was he thought God was capable of descendants and land and protection and love and care, and he trusted that God would do it. And that is the faith that justifies. If, if you've heard other translations, that is the faith that reckons us righteous. 
that we trust God is capable of keeping these promises to us, and we trust that God will do it. Paul says everyone who has faith is a descendant of Abraham, that, that everyone is a spiritual descendant of Abraham, and therefore we may all claim Abraham as our spiritual ancestor. That when we have that faith, that we think God is capable and we trust that God will do it. And then, trusting God, hearing God's promises to us, the effect is our faith. Is a life that is obedient to God, that is moral, that is faithful, a life of discipleship where we are teaching and proclaiming Christ resurrected, where we are loving and caring for those whom God loves and cares for. Now, some of you are thinking, wait a minute, I have heard differently. I have been taught that we're acceptable and then God saves us. That I have to be born again and then God will save me. That I have to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior and then God will will save me, or whatever it is. We've been taught that we have to do something first, and then God notices us. And if we don't, then we will go to hell. Or if we sin, we will go to hell. But I haven't found a lot of consensus around this. I did a Google search on um, what sends you to hell. <laughs> These were some of the titles. The only sin... This is the only sin that can send you to hell. That's one of the titles. Another one was seven deadly sins that can send you to hell. Forty sins that may send you to hell. Or this one, how religion will send you to hell. And then I'm remembering the person who said to me, how can anyone have read Paul and still think that God would send them to hell? And here's the thing. It affects us right now. It affects how we live right now, how we think. If we think that our sin sends us to hell versus trusting God. So when we get it wrong and we think that any little slip up will send us to hell, we often think, why wait? And we start building a life that is hell right now. A life of isolation and self-centeredness. And when we get it right, when we trust God's promises for salvation and heaven and love and care, we also think, why wait? And we join Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. God made promises to Abraham. This is another artwork of God's call. This one's from only a century ago. It's a watercolor. So just, you know, the kids, as I asked them about cause and effect, they did what all of us do, what people at Paul's time did. We get cause and effect mixed up. We think the effect is the cause and vice versa. And so Paul was addressing that. We think that we do things that make us acceptable to God. We obey the law. We come to church every Sunday. We pray. We're moral. We're ethical. We do good things. And Paul is saying, none of that is the cause. None of that is what makes you acceptable to God. You were created acceptable to God. Those are the effects of God loving you. The cause 
is God's promise to us. The effect is our faith. We know that God is capable of keeping promises. Do we trust that God will do it? God has made promises to us, promises of salvation and heaven and care and nurture. God has made promises to us individually and promises to us as the community. God has made promises to the church. You think promises to the church? Because we get cause and effect flipped back and forth. We think the church is the way to get close to God rather than the church being the effect of a people who have been called by God. God has promised to nurture and grow the church. God promised to be with us as we gather present in each other. God has promised to be with us as we hear and receive the word proclaimed. God has promised to be with us in Holy Communion, in the Eucharist, in the Lord's Supper that we share. God has promised to be with us as we are sent, transforming the world as we have been transformed. And God's faithfulness sometimes to the church can be hard to spot when you watch the church shrink. When I started as pastor here two and a half years ago, um, one of the people I spent a lot of time with was Kathy Gailey. I talked with her on the phone or in person four or five times a week. And she is now counted among the saints. If someone hasn't written her name in there, we need to get her name written in there. Day after tomorrow will be two years since her funeral. And at the time, we were in the midst of COVID, and we had her funeral outside, thank God, because over 300 people came. Well, Kathy was active in this church. She loved this church, and she was worried. When I first started, she said to me, I don't know if we're going to be okay. She meant CUNA, United Methodist Church. Are we, gonna, are we just going to shrink, or are we going to be okay? And then a week, it was just about a week before she died, she said to me, you know what? I think we're going to be just fine. Now, many of you knew Kathy, and many of you don't. You weren't part of this church community two years ago at that funeral. God is caring for this church by calling new people, by calling you calling you to faith just like Abraham. God saying, come and follow me to a new place and I will be with you and I will care for you. God has made promises to you. And Paul wants you to know that God does not make promises because you deserve them. And in fact, if you have to do something to get God's promises, then it's not really faith, right? You're not trusting God. You're trusting yourself to earn it. And we know that that is true because God did not wait for us to behave ourselves or do anything. God did not wait for us before incarnating as Jesus the Christ, before becoming a human person 
something that we will celebrate at Christmas time. God did not wait for us before walking with us and teaching and preaching and healing and feeding. God did not wait for us before being tried and convicted and executed. And God did not wait for us before rising from the dead and saving us while we were still sinners. God saved us before we even had a chance to earn it so that we could be sure we knew that this was God's gift and we respond in faith. Abraham trusted that God was able, that God was able to keep God's promises and Abraham trusted that God would keep those promises and that made him courageous. And today we celebrate that God is capable of keeping God's promises and we celebrate that we trust that God will do it looking to the ways that it makes us courageous. Would you pray with me? Lord God, you make us promises that are hard to hear because we think we have to do something first. Lord, help us to deeply hear your promises so that we may respond in faith, that we may trust you, that we may trust that you love us enough to keep your promises, whether we deserve them or not. Lord, help us to to believe, to trust that your love is that big, that your faithfulness to us is that steadfast, that you've made promises to us and to others. And Lord, then fill us full of courage and trust to go on following you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast is preached almost always by our pastor, Reverend Mia Crosswaite. CUNA United Methodist Church is a community on a mission to make disciples for the transformation of the world. To support this podcast and the missional priorities of this church, go to cunaumc.org and click on Give. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you things.